I think most SaaS companies eventually after a certain stage will stop thinking of PLG only or enterprise only and they will think about this balance or the spectrum they have to maintain. I think most SaaS companies which are traditional enterprise sales will eventually add elements of PLG and most PLG first companies invariably end up adding sales teams uh, as they grow bigger and really it's a question of how do you complement these two? How do you layer these two? You are listening to This is Product Marketing, brought to you by Product Marketing Hive, the product marketing community that gives back. I'm your host, Luis Liu. In this episode, Sahil Seti shares his thoughts on the role of product marketing in product-like growth organizations and balancing the PLG and enterprise sales motions. Let's dive into it right now. Welcome to the show, Sahil. Uh, thank you, Luis. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Um, Happy New Year. You too, you too. Great, great. So um, first, tell us a little bit, how, how did you get into product marketing? My story is a long story. So um, as you know, and many of our listeners know, there is no standard path to product marketing. Uh, you have folks from marketing, content, comms, product, sales, all kinds of backgrounds. My background is none of those. Actually, my career before product marketing was in management consulting. So I worked with uh, McKinsey and Company and another consulting firm. And from those experiences, I knew that I did not want to be in consulting, but I I loved this idea of storytelling and uh, wanted to find a career in tech, which allowed me to do that and build on that. And um, uh, I started my career in product marketing post-MBA, post my business school experience with Microsoft. And Microsoft is a big organization. They obviously have a big product marketing team. I was hired by the the cloud business, uh, the business unit that makes products like Azure in their pricing and packaging function, which is one of those functions which we commonly associate with product marketing. In many, many SaaS organizations, pricing and packaging is PMM mandate. Um, And it was a really good balance between my experiences as a consultant and my desire to enter storytelling side of things. So I Worked for Microsoft in the pricing and packaging team. It was known as the business planning team at the time. Worked there for for a while and then slowly transitioned to core product marketing, which is about launches and enablement and messaging and working with the sales teams. Um, And that's what I've been doing for the past 10 years. So worked with large and small companies, uh, almost everything in B2B SaaS. Um, And I love the discipline of product marketing. I feel like I have grown with the discipline as the industry has grown around product marketing and recognizing its importance. Yes, great. Thank you for sharing. So um, before we get into today's main topic, maybe uh, share with us, with your own words, what do you think the PLG product-like growth is and what it is not? That's a great question. Uh, There's a lot of literature out there on product-led growth. Uh, I think product-led growth as the name suggests, is really a growth motion or a go-to-market motion for tech companies, but mostly SaaS companies, that involves the product being front and center. Uh, So whether you're describing growth as revenue growth or acquisition or retention or adoption, whatever your ultimate growth metrics are, and it has to be linked to, to revenue growth in some ways, you're relying on the product being the primary vehicle for driving growth. Um, rather than um, uh, compared to sort of the traditional growth motions where the sales teams would go and prospect uh, or marketing or demand gen tactics. Uh, PLG is really about um, letting end users discover the product, play around with it, use it, hear about it, find value from it. All of those things that are normally done by humans in the past are replaced by the product doing it for you. 
that's sort of my definition of what PLG is. Uh, I think PLG is often defined by the tactics that make up PLG. So creating a freemium motion or a free trial is a tactic within PLG or um, creating virality or network effects or user-generated content is a tactic within PLG or creating um, all sorts of growth experiments and in-product activations is a tactic within PLG. And so I think PLG is often described as those tactics. So when you ask me like, what is PLG not? I think PLG is not those tactics. They, they, they do make up PLG, but by themselves, they don't define PLG. PLG is about the product being front and center. And there's many variations and optimizations that accompany that. And all of those things are sort of, I, I, as I said, they're just various tactics or paths to becoming a PLG first company. Great. Thank you. Great, great. You have had the experience in leading the PLG initiative uh, when you were at Quadrix. So um, can you tell us a little bit more about it? What does the entire process look like? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I mean, I led PLG at Qualtrics. In the case of Qualtrics, Qualtrics already had an established enterprise sales motion, which was selling to large enterprises, um, to, to entire companies, to departments, and to end users. And for us, we had a demand that end users were buying Qualtrics um, already in place. The desire to start a product-led growth motion was to, was to really see if we could rely less on humans, sales reps, to fulfill that demand. You know, it has so many impacts. It reduces your acquisition cost. It reduces your sales cycle. It's a good complement to your sales-led growth motions. Uh, but Qualtrics already had a land and expand motion in place, so we we basically took our landing engine and said, how do we make it a little bit more PLG centric? So that was really the, the intent behind doing that, which I think is, is a very manageable challenge. For many companies that doesn't exist. For many companies, they, they don't have those ingredients, right? Uh, and so the challenge is different. So how did we go about doing that at Qualtrics? I think it all starts with defining the right strategy. Uh, before you go about jumping into the tactics, you have to articulate what is it that you're solving for? Are you solving for reduced acquisition costs? Are you solving for what does success look like? Leads, signups, revenue, sales times. What are you really solving for? Having a very clear sense of the outcomes you're solving for is the first component of the strategy. Um, you have to be clear about the product strategy that goes behind it. In the case of Qualtrics, we invested in templates or use case oriented templates. So end users could discover them and get immediate value. We invested in different signup experience or user experience. Um, both on the landing page as well as inside the product. We invested in a growth pod, very common as PLG motions mature. You, you create a growth team or a growth pod, which is made up of PMs and engineers and designers and PMMs uh, working together, running A-B tests and experiments, optimizing the user journey, looking for those aha moments. Uh, we invested in a ton of experimentation and instrumentation. So that strategy of product investments needed to be defined upfront and a roadmap had to be defined. We also defined a go-to-market strategy. How would we go about pricing and packaging these offerings? We were creating pricing transparency, which was not available earlier. We had to think through internal enablement and how would we convince our sales reps to follow through with this? Where would we create follow-up motions for the leads that captured through PLG? And so I think the first step to successfully starting any PLG motion is to define the strategy in great detail. In Qualtrics, we used a, a format called PR FAQ or, or press release FAQ format. It's something that is pioneered by companies like Amazon um, in which product managers and PMMs and everybody else involved, we jointly create sort of an 18 month, 24 month roadmap 
We write the mock press release or a value prop. We think about all of these questions and the investments to be made. And that really aligns the, the cross-functional teams behind the motion. So that was really step one, is articulating the strategy in great detail uh, with joint partnership from all the teams. And then the rest was really about putting things into motion. You know, once you have a roadmap, you, you decide what's your minimum viable product? When do you announce this? What's the PR plan behind this? How do you enable your sales reps or convince your customers around this? And as I said, we had a growth pod and a growth team, uh, very data centric, very much focused on experimentation and turned out to be one of the most successful motions we had. And this was done about three or four years ago. Uh, it's become much more mainstream uh, for Qualtrics. But it's a very good complement to their sales-led, traditional sales-led growth motions. Um, and that's how we started it. Great. That's very interesting. So um, in your opinion, what made it a viable sales option for Quadrics at the time, in addition to the enterprise sales? Yeah, I think we, we had two things working in our favor. First was Qualtrics already had what I said was a land and expand go-to-market motion. It was just being done by sales reps. So we were, we were comfortable selling to end users or small departments. We were comfortable selling small deals. We were comfortable having um, a very product-led, demo-centric, use-case-centric approach. And so it was easy for us to translate that from the humans into a more self-serve option where you create some pricing transparency or some understanding of the use cases through templates or understanding the customer buying journey from the website and all of those things. So having that landing engine in place really helped. Many companies may not have that. Many traditional enterprise companies who want to embrace PLG have no experience in selling to end users. They only talk to buyers or departmental owners. And, and the challenge for them is a little bit more difficult. It requires a lot more thoughtful experimentation. But we had that going for us. We, we just had to translate that to an online flow in some ways. And also a lot of our competitors at the low end, uh, companies like SurveyMonkey, were already very PLG-centric. And they would sell to mass users primarily by exposing the features of a survey tool online. It just made it easier for us to do that. There was sort of receptivity in the market to be able to buy a tool online. And this was for the survey business of Qualtrics, not the CX customer experience or employee experience business of Qualtrics. Um, and so that really made it a viable sales option for us. And once you kind of took that existing motion and moved it into a PLG-centric growth flow, uh, the rest was about building on top of that and layering it and complementing it with the other growth motions of the company. Yeah, yeah. This is interesting because I've seen companies, they started with PLG and then they use that as a land and they expand with uh, enterprise sales. Talking about balancing the PLG and enterprise sales motions, what are the main challenges you ran into and then how did you manage to overcome them? Yeah, I think... Uh... Uh, there's there's a lot of challenges that come when you have an existing enterprise sales motion. You're right, like many startups especially uh, are embracing PLG first as the primary growth motion and then add and complement sales over time. But there's a lot of traditional enterprise sales companies which have to do it the other way around where they have to sort of put PLG later. One of the biggest challenges that comes in such a scenario and something we initially faced at Qualtrics was, you know, whenever you have humans selling into a use case, into the end user, there is a belief that because there are humans who can do better discovery, they understand the pain points better, that they can sell more than sort of the immediate demand that the end user has. They can capture latent demand. They can talk about other options that may be available to the customer. They can chart a growth plan for them. They can think about a consumption plan for them. All of these advantages. So 
you know, we we saw bigger deals coming when when you had sales reps selling this. And there was this sort of fear that by moving that growth motion online, those end users would just swipe their credit card and buy the cheapest product possible and then not really upgrade and go through it. And so there was this sort of fear of internal cannibalization. And some of the fears are, are true. Uh, some of this does happen, which is actually the right end user experience. But most of these fears are unfounded because conversely speaking, you're actually reducing the acquisition costs. You're letting sales reps focus less on smaller deals and actually on bigger deals. You're letting them focus more on expansion motions or cross-sell motions, or you're helping mature end users who are not ready to talk to a sales rep right now um, into a state of usage and activation where they are ready to talk to a sales rep and making that, that actual process more, more uh, seamless. Or you're bringing in new users who normally wouldn't have come into the funnel without having the ability to play around with the product or buy it online. So we had to think through all of the upsides that come with having PLG and how they make up for some of the downsides. Uh, and, and that was sort of our primary way to address sort of this challenge within Qualtrics. And it was, it was relatively easily done, but it was a challenge. And I find that most companies who have an established sales motion invariably face this challenge. Um, the other challenge that companies face is having those ingredients right. You know, the product needs to be such that there is an end user demand over there, or it needs to be easy to use and have a simpler user experience. So getting those product investments right is also super important. Thankfully, we did not face that Qualtrics. We foresaw all of those challenges and, and got it right. But primarily with the sales team, it was this sort of channel conflict that that was a bigger challenge that we faced, but we managed to overcome it over a period of time. I see, I see. Uh, in your opinion, how does the balance of enterprise sales versus um, BLG vary over time? Is it possible, you know, to mix PLG with some other routes to market, like uh, resales or OEM? In your opinion, you know, I, when I think about resale or OEM, I I think of them as traditional go-to-market channels. Um, I think more modern SaaS companies prefer a more direct approach to customers rather than relying on, on resellers or OEMs, especially you know, high growth startup companies, not very large companies. Um, I think OEM is probably an exception. The, the, the modern equivalent of an OEM is if you're offered as an app integrated into an app exchange of a larger platform. So there are many Shopify ISVs who work in this model. And you need to be very PLG centric in that approach. If you're being discovered as part of another platform provider's offerings through an app exchange or otherwise, you need to be easy to sign up and have a great user experience and get value for the end user really quickly. Um, otherwise, you know, why, why would they choose this bundled approach and not really talk to a human? And so I think PLG does fit into OEM, modern OEM models wherever they exist. Uh, but but back to your question about like the balance of enterprise and PLG, I think most SaaS companies eventually after a certain stage will stop thinking of PLG only or enterprise only. And they will think about this balance or the spectrum they have to maintain. Um, I, I think most SaaS companies, which are traditional enterprise sales, will eventually add elements of PLG. And most PLG first companies invariably end up adding sales teams uh, as they grow bigger in terms of deal size or the buyer motions or as they go up market. And really it's a question of how do you complement these two? How do you layer these two? And, and that really depends on the go-to-market model you have. If you are a kind of product that is 
um, let's say, bought by end users. And Qualtrics was a little bit like that. We, you know, at the low end, we were selling survey tools that are bought by end users. Um, but eventually, when there are enough end user seats that have been sold, and you feel like there's a critical mass within a company that um, uh, that now you could sell a departmental license or an enterprise license, a sales team would come in and have that conversation. And that's unique to sort of this kind of a product motion. Uh, there are some products which are not really sold on a per seat basis. It's not really about the number of users. Uh, it could be one user or a few users, but the complexity of the product grows. And the moment you're buying a more complex implementation, you need humans or sales reps to come and assist you for that. So you may start with simpler use cases and then the enterprise sales team comes later. And the role of the sales team is a little bit different. They tend to be very product centric. Uh, they tend to be very uh, um, um, feature centric. Um, and then there are other motions out there. In many cases, enterprise reps really come in when you're talking to, to IT teams, the security teams, and, uh, and upselling capabilities or explaining the benefit of capabilities that are not about end user, but more about administration and governance and security. And the role of an enterprise sales team is a little bit different. And so I, I think the balance really depends on the nature of the product you have how the users would buy it, the kind of value it delivers. And you have to very actively study, you know, what's the upsell motion or what's the usage pattern and, you know, what's the typical sales cycle and then staff your sales teams like that to fill that. Um, there's many kinds of enterprise sales teams too. There are teams that uh, sell multi-million dollar contracts on, 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 uh, on value-based selling. And there are teams that essentially explain features really well and have a high velocity transactional mode of selling and you need to understand your product really well to figure out the right balance but i do think that most high growth companies will will eventually have all of these tactics and they just need to find the right balance at the right period of time makes sense makes sense thank you for sharing great from your experience what does this mean for product marketers are there any differences in their responsibilities when they are working in the plg organization I think fundamentally product marketing's role doesn't change, but tactically there's a few differences that do emerge. I define product marketing as a function whose job is to bring in the voice of the customer, the voice of the market, and their deep knowledge of the product to orchestrate the right go-to-market outcomes. Now, those go-to-market channels are slightly different in a PLG-first company. First, most PLG companies happen to have a growth team or a growth pod, and PMMs are key part of that. You know, you won't find that in a traditional enterprise sales motion or a traditional enterprise only motion. Uh, and so that's another cross-functional team that PMMs have to, to work with. Uh, I, I find that to be the sort of the biggest difference um, working for a PLG first company than not is typically some PMMs are part of the growth pod and they are overseeing many experiments or thinking through copy changes or messaging changes. Um, it's just a different team to, to work with. Um, I think the the other big change is if you think about sales team being a, an important um, internal audience of all the messaging work that PMMs do, in case of a PLG growth motion, it's not necessarily the sales team, it's the marketing channels, usually your website. Um, so I find that uh, the messaging work tends to be a lot more feature centric uh, because you're talking to end users who are primarily buying on features. Um, so, it, it, you know, you, you don't talk about words like digital transformation, but you explain features and their benefits uh, more, more clearly. Um, and so PMMs end up being in those motions. I've, I've, I've been in situations where PMMs end up writing a ton of 
uh, web pages themselves, especially the feature deep dives, uh, which is not common with enterprise uh, first companies. Um, you have a lot more say on the, 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 the real estate that appears uh, on your website or your campaigns. Uh, so PMMs play a big role over there. Um, also, PLG first companies just have a lot more data. You're usually talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions of users, rather than thousands of customers. Um, you have a lot more data on the usage patterns inside the product or around signups. So a lot of, there's an experimentation mindset, there's an A-B testing mindset, um, uh, which is very data-driven and analytical. And so the way you make decisions is you complement your understanding of the market by talking to customers with a lot of what you see in the data. I, I find that happening a lot more in PLG first companies than in traditional enterprise sales companies. So these are some of the sort of the subtle differences I see in how PMMs work differently, but the core of what they do remains the same. They still have to be experts in messaging. They still have to be able to know the product, explain and articulate its value prop, define, uh, you know, be able to demo the product. Like I, I'm a huge fan of PMMs getting their hands dirty and demoing products in front of customers. Doesn't matter if you're an enterprise or product-led sales, you still have to think about launching offerings, um, the metrics are also a little bit different in a PLG first company. It's a lot more focus on usage and adoption metrics than just acquisition and retention. And so the tactics differ a little bit. You end up working with CSMs a little bit to drive that usage and adoption, uh, but mostly through the same channels that we talked about, you know, direct contact to customers in product messaging and experimentation. Uh, so those are, those are some of the changes. I've been fortunate to have PMM teams that have a strong foundation. I, I feel that once you have a strong foundation messaging and positioning and value prop development, activating the various channels are simply a matter of adapting yourself to the right go-to-market motion. And I've been fortunate to be part of situations where that was really easy. Makes sense. Thank you. Maybe for marketing leaders who are considering or planning to pursue PLG, do you have any helpful tips to share with them? Yeah, I think firstly, PLG is not just a marketing strategy, it's a company strategy. And so if you're a marketing leader who is considering PLG for, for, for a lot of reasons, maybe you're looking to reduce acquisition costs or uh, want marketing to play a more prominent role in the customer buying and consideration journey, all great reasons, it would be very wise to get exec buy-in from the exec leadership. Um, you need commitments on the right kind of product investments or data investments, or even the metrics change. Uh, so it's going to be really hard to do that for marketing leaders if they are the only ones pursuing this. So that's my first tip to them. I think the second important thing is um, most marketing tends to be about acquisition, acquiring leads or acquiring users. And a lot of success with PLG comes from focusing on adoption and usage as well. And so a good PLG company ends up optimizing all its functions around driving adoption and usage, not just marketing, but marketing, the way PMs think about launching and staying, staying on top of products. Obviously your sales team sometimes are incentivized to drive adoption, your CSMs play a very important role. And so marketing's key metrics often change. They're not just chasing signups or MQLs or, or they may be as a leading indicator, uh, but you have to be very, very uh, careful about knowing what you're truly solving for in a PLG first motion. And so that's sort of another tip I have for marketing leaders is if you are not a PLG first company and looking to add PLG, it may fundamentally break your understanding of the buying journey, the key metrics you're solving for, the way the user flow happens. So you have to almost treat that as its own 
side thing. Experiment the heck out of it uh, until it becomes a mainstream motion. That's sort of my two big sort of tips to, to marketing leaders is like, make sure it's a company strategy, not just your strategy. And think about everything from the metrics to the instrumentation, definition of success, uh, the user buying journey as different from what you've traditionally been used to um, uh, until you feel like you've adopted PLG at scale and it's a core part of your company's growth motion. I, I think PLG is here to stay. It's, uh, it's not just a fad. Uh, I fundamentally believe that every large company, every successful SaaS company will have elements of PLG, will have elements of sales-led growth. It has elements of traditional marketing, demand-gen-led growth. And as PMMs, we are collaborators and orchestrators. We are very good at working cross-functionally. So we have to learn to upskill ourselves and adjust ourselves to these new growth modes. I think it's a fantastic opportunity for PMMs to step up and take leadership, especially in companies that are thinking about pursuing PLG as an alternative growth tactic, but looking for folks to, to step up and do it for them um, but it, it stretches and challenges us in the right way. And I would say if you are in a company that is looking to go PLG first, absolutely embrace it. And it's going to be super important in the long run. Great. Thank you for joining us today. This is great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Luis. Thank you for tuning into This is Product Marketing, brought to you by Product Marketing Hive, a product marketing community that gives back. Check out our website, productmarketinghive.com, to join our community, meet fellow product marketers, and access free resources, including training, playbooks, templates, and events. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe and give a five-star rating on the platform of your choice. See you next time.